Welcome, welcome, welcome. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Inspiration Podcast with your host, Michael Hethcote. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about election integrity. The state senators, state legislators, what were they thinking? Second, we'll be also talking again about Michael Sussman, the Perkins Coie lawyer of the Hillary Clinton campaign. What were they thinking? Then we're going to talk about the school boards and critical race theory, COVID policy. Then we're going to talk about what are they not saying? Not what are they saying, but more importantly, what are they not saying? And in our Stories of the South segment, we have a very special edition for you called The Bridges of Madison County. Stay tuned. It's going to be fun. Let's go. Our first subject today, election integrity, the state legislators. What were they thinking? You know, I got to thinking about this. You know, this is a hot topic now, this election integrity after the debacle that was the 2020 election in November. Uh, I got to thinking, you know, at some point, these state legislators had presented to them these uh, voting mechanisms such as, gee, we want to do all this uh, mail-in balloting. Gee, we want to, uh, we're going to, these are the computer systems that we're going to bring in to the state now to uh, tabulate voting. Did not one of these state legislators ask the simple question, hey, can these voting computers, can these computers be hooked up to the internet? And then doesn't that make them vulnerable to hacking? Did one person, did one legislator in any of these swing states ask that simple question? Or with the mail-in balloting, did they ask the question, hey, if we airdrop mail-in ballots all over the state and then we loosen our requirements for verifying that the, the ballots are in fact from eligible voters, could that impact uh, significantly the amount of fraud that we might experience? Did anyone ask that simple question? These are people we vote for to run our state. Now, I'm not even talking about national elections. I'm not talking about Congress men and women. I'm not talking about senators, House of Representatives. I'm talking about your state legislators. They are the ones that brought you the 2020 election. The debacle that was the 2020 election is the direct responsibility of your state legislators. If you live in states like Pennsylvania, California, well, California is not a swing state, but Arizona, places like that, you vote for these state legislators, and I think you might want to ask them a question. The next time they're asking you for your vote, um, that representing your county or whatever, these are local people. They probably live in your neighborhoods. You should be asking them simple questions like, what were you thinking?
As you may remember from a previous podcast, I've been talking about the John Durham investigation into the uh, spying on the Trump campaign. And specifically, I've been talking about this lawyer from Perkins Coey who worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign by the name of Michael Sussman. Now, as we talked about before, Michael Sussman goes to the FBI and he goes to the chief counsel of the FBI uh, by the name of Baker. I forget what his first name is. Dang it. Uh, anyway, goes to him and says, hey, I've got this information, you know, you, might, you guys might be interested in about how Trump and the Russians are colluding. And um, I, I've been listening to this, this guy who happens to be a big uh, person in the, in the uh, uh, tech social media in, environment. I've been listening to him and he's been telling me some things I thought you might want to know. Okay, so he, so Sussman goes to the chief counsel of the FBI, Baker, tells him this, and what Durham is interested in, in the investigation, is that Michael Sussman presented himself as a normal, just a regular guy who happens to know a guy who knows a guy, okay? <laughs> First of all, I cannot believe all these actors in this whole thing, Baker for the FBI, Sussman, and Durham, they all know that that Michael Sussman was a Perkins Coey lawyer and that he worked for the Hillary campaign, Hillary Clinton campaign. And furthermore, Baker at the FBI had to know this too, even when it was being presented to him. And yet they went with this story, they leaked it to the press, and then we had three years of this fake investigation into the Donald Trump campaign and then the, the Trump um, administration over this whole thing. And now Durham is indicting Michael Sussman uh, for the crime of lying to the FBI. You know, I tell you what, I, I just, the whole thing, I, I, my question goes through my head, what were these people thinking? Did Sussman think he was just going to be able to go to the FBI, not identify himself as being a Perkins Coy lawyer, and just dump this information on the FBI and walk away? Did he think that was just going to you know, and did what was Baker thinking when this guy comes to him and he doesn't even identify him as being in the uh, um, in the campaign? You know, and here's the thing. You know, I, I came across this quote when Baker asked him how he came upon this information. Sussman, according to Baker, said that quote that that there were some cyber experts that somehow would come across this information and brought it somehow to his attention and that they were alarmed at what it showed and that therefore they wanted to bring it to the attention of the FBI. Okay, that's Baker's story. When, <laughs> you know what, Baker and Sussman, they have been acquaintances for years, probably decades. These people all know each other. This, this is such kabuki theater and so ridiculous that it's just becoming comical now. But yet this is very serious. And uh, this is just the beginning of the indictments uh, against the Perkins Coey and the, um, and the Hillary Clinton campaign officials. Okay, so I thought it was interesting. I'd pass it along. Next up, school boards and critical race theory, COVID policy. I just wanted to say about this, to urge you, parents, grandparents, 
and concerned citizens to get out to the school board meetings. I, I think I might have told you in a previous podcast, I'm not quite sure, so here goes again. I went to a, the Greenville County School Board meeting uh, last month, and uh, I found that it was very enlightening, number one, to go there and to listen to what's going on. The parents, one after another, criticized the school board here in Greenville County, which is a very conservative area, mainly upset about contact tracing, their children missing days and days in school because of quarantines, and they were really upset about that. I thought they'd really be upset about masks and stuff like that. They are, but but the main thing they were concerned about was this uh, contact tracing. Anyway, I wanted to urge all of you, grandparents, parents, just concerned citizens, get out to these school board meetings. You don't have to say a word. You can just sit there and listen. And you can just, you know, and, and what happens is uh, somebody will get up and speak and the place just uh, bursts out with applause. Uh, there was just, it's just like one mind in there. You know, people are really upset and they're making their voices known in, in peaceful ways. I didn't see anybody, you know, threatening violence or anything like that. So our attorney general is just out to lunch on this. Any, any uh, security problems could be easily handled by the sheriff's department in your, uh, in your county. This is ridiculous. What the what uh, Merrick Garland and the feds calling out the FBI. I mean, it's just, it's just intimidation tactics. But I urge you all to get out there and just go to your school board meetings. It's really useful to have uh, all the patriots out at these school board meetings. It just adds to the, uh, the weight of what people are saying. Whenever leftists make their wild assertions that they normally make, or their their ridiculous pronouncements, and you just your first inclination is just to be open mouth going, I just can't believe he just said that. But but you you know you have to come up with some kind of a response, uh, and and you need to. So I'm going to help you with that in this segment. Okay, uh, there's three questions that you you should think about when the the liberals or leftists make these pronouncements. And first of all, you need to think about the question, compared to what? Then the question, at what cost? And then a third one is, what hard evidence do you have? So I'm going to give you some examples of these and how you might use them when you're in your conversations with a leftist who makes a sweeping pronouncement that they have no proof for whatsoever. Uh, first of all, you're talking about compared to what, okay? Then you might want, let's let's give you an example. Uh, Let's say a a leftist comes to you and says, well, I just think capitalism is unfair. You know, I think the the rich should pay their fair share, you know, and stuff like that. You could say, compared to what? If capitalism is unfair, what what are you comparing it to? Okay, and uh, get them to, to uh, co- compare and contrast the free market economy versus whatever they think it should be. And they're going to say socialism or, or communism. Or they're just going to give these nebulous, like, you know, the, the rich don't pay their fair share or something like that. You can tell them that there's only two ways of allocating scarce resources, and that's either by price or rationing. You want to ask them, which one would you be for? Would you be for... Um, you know, uh, allocating scarce resources through price 
In other words, things that are really scarce cost more or rationing because there's really only two ways of doing it. You either have to ration it or you have to set a price. And if you ration it, there's all kinds of bad things that are associated with that. But you only have two choices here, okay? So that is compared to what? Capitalism is unfair compared to what, okay? Then let's say they say something like, uh, this would be at what cost, okay? They say, well, you know, forced vaccinations or vac vaccination mandates, the compliance has gone way up, okay? Your question should be, at what cost has it gone way up? What has been the result of vaccine mandates? And now we're seeing these uh, people who are forced to inject themselves with a, you know, an unproven um, uh, vaccine that um, may cause side effects with them, but the and they may have an adverse event. Um, but the major thing is a lot of these people have already had COVID and they have the best immune protection um, ever against it. And to inject them with a vaccine and, and just and risking the side effect profile and adverse event profile is just ridiculous. And yet that's what we're doing. So at what cost? Okay, yes, the amount of vaccinations has gone up because we're mandating these and threatening to to uh, take people's livelihoods away if they don't get the shot. But what is the cost of that? Okay, so that's at what cost? Okay, now, and what hard evidence do you have? This one, you could ask almost all of these. What hard evidence do you have that what you're saying is true? For example, well, I think children should wear masks at school. They should be uh, mandated to wear masks at school. Your question is, what hard evidence do you have that masks are effective at all? And why would you want them on children who are the least susceptible to COVID, number one, and, and have the most mild symptoms when, if they do get COVID? Why would, why would you restrict their oxygen all day? What hard evidence do you have to show that masks do anything to prevent the spread of COVID-19? Or if they do, you know, how much do they prevent it? What evidence do you have? So that would be the way to do that. And make sure you ask these questions, like compared to what? And at what cost doing this? And what hard evidence do you have that anything you're saying makes any sense at all? Okay, so try that. And now for that segment you've all been waiting for, one of my favorite sections of the podcast, and that is the Stories of the South segment. Today's story I entitled The Bridges of Madison County. I grew up in North Alabama in a city called Huntsville. Uh, Huntsville is about, oh, I'd say less than a half an hour, really, south of the Tennessee border by car. So it's... It, pretty extreme North Alabama. And uh, the county that Huntsville is in is called Madison County. And uh, winter sometimes can be really cold in, in Alabama, but they can also be really warm. Like I can remember Christmas days when it was like 70 degrees outside. And then other times it'd be like 14 degrees outside. And so every now and then you'd get some ice storms or uh, occasionally you'd get snow that would pile up. But I'd say ice is more common. And when I was going to x-ray school in Birmingham, which is about 100 miles south of Huntsville, I would drive home every weekend 
uh, I had my girlfriend lived in Huntsville, and of course I was going to school in Birmingham. So Friday afternoon or Saturday morning, I would head up to Huntsville. And this one time, Friday night, uh, had come a pretty severe uh, ice storm to the point where the bridges were iced over. And I was driving my 1973 Plymouth Duster um, up to Huntsville. And I was noticing as I was going up, uh, of course, the, the ice had mostly melted on the roadways, but where it had not melted was on the bridges. So the ice would cover the bridges, but it wouldn't melt because the bridges were not connected to the ground. So as you would, as I would go over these bridges at 7 to 60, 70 miles an hour, you would completely lose traction upon entering the bridge. And then you would regain it and you'd feel the car jerk as you, you left the bridge and went back onto solid ground again. Which was fine if the bridge was short and if it was level. But at the very end of my journey, as I approached Huntsville, there is a mile-long bridge um, in Madison County uh, over the Tennessee River on the highway that goes from Birmingham to Huntsville. That bridge is a mile long, and worse, it's bowed. So, in other words, across the distance of the bridge, the first half mile you're climbing, then you reach the 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 apex of the bridge, and on the other side, it's declining. So there were just, nobody was out uh, because I guess the roads were so bad that most people were not out. I don't remember seeing anybody when I got to the bridge, uh, no cars on the bridge, no cars approaching the bridge. I was all alone. And I had this one bridge stopping me from getting to Huntsville and getting to my girlfriend. (laughs) And I was pretty determined to get across it. So I came up with the wild idea to make a running start. Because here's the problem, okay? If you go normal, your normal 50, 60 miles an hour to the bridge, you know, there's a good chance that, you know, because there's no traction on the bridge and it's ice, that you're not going to get the full half mile to the top and then be able to go across to the, to the, the, uh, the side that's going downhill. And if that's the case, you're going to be stuck on that bridge because you're either going to slide back down or, you know, you're, you're going to have to work your way back down across the ice. So I had the brilliant idea of getting back, going back about a mile and reaching high speed to get up to the top, that half mile to the top. So I, when I hit the bridge, I was probably doing 85, 90 miles an hour. Uh, and this was, this was a very stupid stunt for me to do, but I was young and stupid and there wasn't anybody around. So I did it. I hit that bridge about 90 miles an hour and, uh, somehow (laughs) by hook or by crook, I made it to the top and the car, by the time I got to the top, the car was slowing to like 25 miles an hour. And there was no way to increase speed because you're on ice. You have no control. It was just it was just all I could do to keep the car on the roadway and keep the car from from going out of control. 
But I somehow made it to the top. By the time I got to the top, I was doing about 30 miles an hour. Sure enough, I made it over the top. And then it's just a matter of sliding back down the other side. <laughs> there's no there's no brakes. There's no acceleration. No nothing. Just sliding down. And uh, I just thought it was a miracle that I, you know, I didn't hit either side of the bridge like a, a bowling ball that you would throw and goes into the gutter or something. It just... My car just... I, I was able to keep the car. I had enough traction to keep it on the roadway and slide all the way down and make it into Huntsville. And, you know, I thought at the time, I was so proud of myself for having done it. But looking back on it, I think it was the most, one of the most stupid driving stunts I have ever done. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it for you. So until next time, God bless and take care.